שם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים, שבוע טוב, שבוע מבורך. We are uh, back here with our uh, series of the uh, Jewish Ashkafa, uh, trying to uh, learn, Be'ezot uh, Hashem, from uh, the Chazonish, about what is the right Jewish ideology. Uh, the uh, Chazonish has been uh, taking us uh, step by step, like little children, uh, throughout the last uh, year or so, uh, trying to teach us everything from basically the Aleph Bet of uh, Jewish ideology, from what is Emunah, what is Bitachon, what uh, is required as far as learning Musar, Alakha, uh, what if you only want to learn one of them, and then obviously we learned that uh, one without the other uh, simply uh, leads to disaster. And then also over the last uh, few weeks, the Chazonish, uh, Akadosh was uh, has been focusing on who to learn from, uh, who to learn from. Whether you can learn simply from everybody, anybody, or you have to be a little bit more picky. Uh, and if picky, how picky? What uh, what actually matters? So tonight's you will be for a refuah uh, for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Sara Bat Levana, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Avi Mori David Ben Esriah, Doris Bajora. Orit Bat Ilana, Sara Bat Sausan, also for Atzlacha Rabba, for Shaul Ben Farzane, Marsha Bat Juli, Ayla Bat Marsha, Samuel Ben Marsha, Sephas Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, Louis Ben Marsha, Itro Ben Avraham, David Ben Esriah, Oshri Ben Doris, Gabi Ben Doris, Elad Ben Doris, Amir Ben Shahin, and uh, all of Am Yisrael, especially the, uh, and the, and the righteous Noahide, especially the ones that continue to contribute uh, to, uh, to the Shurim, to the work that we do, Baruch Hashem. Um, a few of you have asked me about what type of projects we're working on, if there's any specific campaign. And um, some of you have answered, some of you I haven't answered. And uh, to be honest with you, it's just simply because I just don't have the time to do the campaigns. Yes, there's a lot of campaigns, there's a lot of projects. There's an enormous amount of uh, need, uh, whether it's to help uh, some sick people that we're trying to help or the kolel uh, that we have in Eretz Yisrael and now the second one. Uh, all the different things that we're doing, Baruch Hashem, there's a lot going on. There's just simply not enough time uh, to uh, to report every single little thing. But Be'ezad Hashem, we'll try. We'll try to uh, post some updates on it. A uh, couple of updates for uh, those smart uh, ones of you that are continuously contributing to the kolel, Baruch Hashem, uh, the kolel continues to grow. Uh, we have some more people uh, coming in, some more learning, Baruch Hashem. If anyone is watching our Be'ezrat uh, Hashem channel, uh, the other YouTube channel that we have, uh, or you're watching everything on the uh, on the app, you see that there's a few new faces, Baruch Hashem, of people that are doing shurim uh, under the umbrella of Be'ezrat Hashem. These are Avrechim. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we're going to get a few more, a uh, few more uh, in the uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, so uh, that's Baruch Hashem growing. The uh, the Avachim are uh, uh, doing something that uh, most of them have never done before, which is uh, speak to the public. Uh, this is a uh, as, as unusual as it sounds to some of you. Uh, it's actually very unusual for an Avrech uh, to uh, to give lectures. Uh, I know when uh, I spoke to Rav Sharvit, our Rosh Kolel. Uh, just a week or two ago about uh, expanding the kolel. Uh, you know, we have a condition under the kolel. If you want to learn under our kolel, you have to obviously, first of all, be at a certain level in regards to your uh, learning uh, uh, journey towards becoming a dayan. 
uh, you have to already have passed uh, more than half of the different tests that uh, you had to uh, go through uh, to become a Dayan. And the second thing is, you have to do Kiruv, you have to give lectures. Uh, and uh, he says that uh, in uh, one of the kolos that he's been involved in for almost 20 years, he went there looking for some people to see who he could uh, uh, see. He says there's probably over 100 uh, plus Avrahim, maybe 150 Avrahim in that kolel. And he says uh, only six of them uh, are uh, giving shiurim to people. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's just not, uh, the two don't always necessarily go together. Although logically to us, it makes all the sense in the world, but not necessarily everybody has the, uh, the gift of gab or the, uh, uh, the, the tools that, that are needed to, to speak to the public. But that's really one of the main things that we're looking for. We're looking for people that are actually and also are going to speak to a crowd because that Hashem, makes the perfect, uh, the perfect uh, weapon uh, for, the, for the times we have today. We have many people in the world that speak uh, but very few people are actually Talmidei Chachamim. Uh, and uh, so we need as many as possible to speak to the world and Bezal Hashem help people do tshuva. Uh, so that's the one thing we have, Baruch Hashem, uh, a few more joining our uh, team and uh, Bezal Hashem uh, going to start uh, delivering some shiurim in Eretz Yisrael and uh, Bezal Hashem eventually we're going to start doing some things in other places. So that's one thing. The uh, second thing is in regards to the, the Kiruv store that some of you have asked me about in regards to giving out the books and uh, the uh, Tikkun Abrit cards and everything else. Again, another project that I've been saying I'm going to do and complete probably for over the last month. Just simply haven't had the time to do it. It's, uh, it's one of many things that's on the uh, list and I'm hoping that Bezal Hashem I'll be able to do it very soon. Uh, once we have that, we'll start distributing things uh, you know, in a uh, orderly uh, fashion. Uh, that's the uh, second thing. Um, I think there was a third or a fourth, but to be honest with you, I just want to get into this shield. There's so much material that uh, we need to cover uh, that Bezad Hashem uh, will have the opportunity to cover. So the Chazonish has, uh, has really uh, delved into every single topic uh, in depth. Uh, and as I said before, he taught us about what Emuna is, he taught us about what bitachon is, and if you compare those first 20 lectures to really uh, 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 the general teachings that's out there, uh, you know, in uh, regards to the typical, you know, lectures that are about emunah or bitachon, many times the two, the two uh, words uh, and two belief systems are, uh, are actually confused and uh, used interchangeably. But really, they're, they're worlds apart. So anyone that has... Uh, you know, different types of uh, issues with emunah, with, with bitachon, or simply you're dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of problem, which who among us isn't dealing with some type of anxiety or problem. Those first 20 lectures have been very, very helpful because you understand not only what emunah is and not only what bitachon is, but also how to use them, uh, how to implement it into your life, how to build it. So those first 20 lectures of this series are highly recommended for anyone that's uh, you know in a uh, in need. Uh, after that, we learned obviously the importance of learning musar, the importance of learning Allah, but most importantly to learn both and not just uh, pick one over the other, which is a very common mistake that I've seen myself from you know from many people uh, that focus just on one or the other, and uh, it's one or the other ends up being a disaster. Uh, it's very important to learn both. 
and uh, of course, the uh, last topic and uh, the most recent that we're dealing with is who to learn from. You know, if, if let's say my teacher focuses on Musar and he doesn't focus on Alakha, does that absolve me from learning Alakha? Obviously not. Uh, at the same token, if my teacher is a uh, focuses on Alakha, but he doesn't teach Musar and quite frankly, he doesn't even like Musar. Does that mean that uh, I'm okay and I could just focus on learning Alakha uh, uh, from him and I'm done? Absolutely not. Why? Because even Rabbi Yosef Karl, the, the Baal Shulchan Aruch, the one that wrote the, the codifying of our laws that all of Am Yisrael uses today, learned Musar every single day. As it says in his uh, Magid Mesharim Sefer, uh, which was in essence his personal journal uh, in, with the conversations that he had with his Chavuta, which was an angel, uh, the, uh, he got rebuked for not learning enough Musar on one day. On one day. And uh, so uh, the, the amount of Musar that Rabbi Yosef Kao had to learn every day uh, was, a, you know, we're talking about hours per day that he would invest into learning Musar. So if he has to learn several hours a day of, of Musar every day, we have to learn a thousand hours. You know? But the point is, not everybody has all the time in the world. So we have to make sure that we divide up our day and put sections of our day to uh, to learn Musar, but also to learn Alakha. And one of the things that uh, I uh, had a conversation over Shabbat with a few students uh, that, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the difference as far as where do you get the different information that you have. Of course, you know, I learned with my Rav, who's also my Chavuta for many years. Uh, I learned from Sfarim. And uh, I would say once, uh, once in a while, or maybe once a week, if, when I'm in my car, I'll listen to a uh, shiur. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's generally the information that I get is from, you know, obviously I learned from my Rav, I learned from the books, from um, Chazal, and also I learn a shiur once a week, part of a shiur, a whole shiur, depending on how much time I'm in a car. Uh, but that's generally the, uh, the learning. And, uh, but the thing is, though, is that... Um, I think the big difference is, is that I don't believe I watch a shiur the same way most people watch a shiur. And I'll tell you why. Most people that watch our shiurim uh, and, and other people's shiurim watch it in a, uh, in a, in a you know, superficial way. Uh, and again, no, no uh, uh, I'm not trying to insult anyone, but uh, it's, it's, again, it all depends on what level of learning you want to make it. There are most people that watch Shiwe Torah, simply watch it, they have it on a screen, or they have it, uh, the, the sound coming out of some speaker in their, in their area, the car or headphones or whatever it is, and they listen to the shiur. And they listen to the shiur, they enjoy it. If they don't enjoy it, they press fast forward or something, they skip to something else. And generally speaking, that's how most people listen to shiurim. They listen, they absorb whatever they can absorb. Once in a while, they'll like something, they'll try to remember it, but generally speaking, they'll go through one shiur after another, and that's also why many people, and I remember myself, when I first started watching shiure Torah, I was literally able to go through, you know, uh, many shiurim every single day, you know, five, six, seven shiurim a day at times uh, became the norm. And you go through a lot of shiurim, and you listen to this, and you listen to that one, and, and you get through a lot of material, but then somebody asks you a question about what you just heard, and you can't really answer it. And the reason why is because most people watch shiurim superficially. 
and I've tried to address this topic many times over the last several years with my own students and through the lectures, which is that if you want to really learn Torah, you have to treat the shiul just like you treat the, uh, the, the most important sefer, the most important book in the world. Now, the problem is that's not necessarily the best example. And the reason why is because most people watch shiulim the same way they read books. And most people don't know how to read books. What do I mean by that? If you're reading a waste of time, uh, you know, a senseless book about some, uh, some kid that's flying on a, on a broomstick, yeah, you read it superficially. We've all done that through our lives. We've read waste of time books, and uh, that's what you do. Fine. If you're reading uh, uh, something that's perhaps uh, a little bit more important to you, uh, a business book, a parenting book, perhaps you'll uh, try to uh, uh, retain some of the information, maybe fold the page here and there, maybe highlight something or, or note it that if you ever want to see it again, you'll see it. But generally speaking, you breeze through it and you can't wait to finish until you finish and then you ask yourself, what do I start now? Now, but if you're reading a book that's not really a book, that's a sefer, that's Torah, and you want to truly learn that book, you have to learn it very differently, meaning that you have to go through the information. You, have to, you can't take a year just to finish uh, you know, one tractate or, 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 or one duff. And I've heard some, some of my students learning with some people where literally it took them uh, three months just to finish one daf of Gemara. That's not the right approach either. But the point is, is that you read the material, you read the material and you highlight or you note or, or, or you write down little bits of information, little bullets, little things that you're uh, that you want to commit to memory, that you want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you have a new insight about either on the book itself, on the sides where there's a little white area, uh, like many of the sages used to do because paper was very expensive back then, but it's also convenient. Uh, or uh, perhaps you want to, you know, start a, uh, a notebook and you don't necessarily need to make the whole notebook a whole complicated uh, ordeal. Just have one notebook and just write down different things that you want to write. You know, if you make it too complicated and too cumbersome to, uh, to write notebooks and you have different notebooks for different subjects, you'll end up not doing anything in the end. So you have a notebook, you write some notes, you know, you, you read a duff, you, got, uh, 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 you went through it over an hour, two hours, five hours, whatever it takes you, and uh, you write down one or two sentences, uh, you know, about what uh, things really stood out for you, and perhaps you move forward. And that way you continuously accumulate more and more information over time and generally speaking that's the way you're supposed to watch you with Torah if you want to retain the information if you're just looking for entertainment and you're just looking for chizuk uh, just to get through the day, then yeah, you can watch the shoe or listen to the shoe in whatever way you want that is going to affect you in a certain way just to hold you up until the next shoe. The problem is that sometimes there's a very big period of time between one shoe that you have and another shoe. And that, that time frame when you're, you know, when you're not listening to anything, you're not reading anything, uh, could be a, a, a perfect time for the Satan to attack you in, at a weak moment. And that's really why people need to learn Torah every single day. As the sages teach us, if you leave the Torah one day, Hashem leaves you for two days. So it's important for us to learn Torah every single day. As it says in the uh, Tanakh, that you get to the Torah morning at night. 
And also, that if not for my covenant, which is the Torah, day and night, the laws of the world will cease to exist. So here we see that the Torah itself obligates us to learn it each and every single day, but not to learn it superficially. You're just going through the material and really you forgot what you read as you're reading it. You're supposed to retain some bit of information uh, so you could perhaps review it at some time or another. And again, I'm not telling you to make a whole book report about every single page that you read, but even if you take, you read a whole page and you take one little tidbit of notes, one thing out of one sentence out of the whole page, or even one sentence out of a whole chapter, at least you got something. And you've actually used multiple senses to, rem- to, to remember that bit of information. And you'll see that after time passes and somebody asks you, what was that book about? Or somebody asks you a topic that's relevant. Those are the things that you'll actually remember. It's very sad to, to see where you have certain people, you know, they, they read a lot of books, but you ask them questions and they don't know the answers. And the questions they ask is as if they never read any books. And the reason why is because they're too focused on finishing and not necessarily focused on actual learning. So this is, uh, this is an important thing that I've done uh, throughout uh, my life, but most importantly in, in my Torah learning, that I'm never going to spend my time you know, for no reason. I want to make sure that if there's something that stands out, uh, I want to you know, retain it, I want to keep it, but I've, obviously I do a lot more in the Torah world than I ever did in the business world. Uh, and uh, this is one of the things that has helped me tra- dramatically, you know, have a bunch of notebooks full of information. And anyone that uh, has seen my book, the new book that we have, Yasemid Bale Agamayim, sees that the book itself is actually written in that format, meaning that the book itself is little tidbits from my lectures that I have given in, in, in uh, Hebrew mostly, but it's just different ideas that you know is a one or two or three sentences about this one or two or three sentences about this and you know it's ideas that are uh uh that are similar within certain sections but in essence anyone that is wants to have a devout torah to say to his family or to say to our family you know literally could open a book see idea you have something to say and of course you have to develop on it but the point is is that that's the uh the system that we need these days because there's just so much material, there's so much information out there that people go through. They watch a lot of shulim, they read a lot of books, and it's really a shame that they just waste it by simply just breezing through it and not really going over it. And it's just, uh, it seems like the questions that they have today are uh, are, are really, uh, you know, they're answered today, but they forget what the answer is six months later. And there's no way that you can remember everything. So we need to put a little bit more effort. And I believe that's one of the main things that distinguishes, for example, the way I watch Shulim versus many other people that haven't taken my consistent advice to take notes over the years because most importantly, when I watch a Shiu, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for diamonds. Yes, I'm listening to the whole Shiu, whatever the Chacham is, whether it's a Mayon Rav or it's a Rav Meir Eliyahu, or it's a Rav Nisim again, or it's a Rav Mizrahi, or it's a one of the Avrichim from our Kolel, whoever it is I'm listening to, what I'm looking for, I'm listening to the whole shiur, but I'm looking for diamonds. 
that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a diamond that's going to impact me or it's going to impact my students or it's going to impact my, my family. It's going to impact somebody. That's what I'm looking for in this year. And I highly recommend that each and every single one of you do the same thing. Man or woman, child or adult, doesn't make a difference. Every single person should start accumulating themselves different ideas that they are uh, that they can put down to paper and again some people get a little bit too particular they ask me does it make a difference if i type it or versus if i write it with my uh, you know handwrite it does it make a difference if i use an ipad does it make a difference if i highlight is it a blue highlight is it a yellow highlighter don't get into all of that just write the damn thing write it do something move forward and then develop it further on many people get too focused on the logistics of things to the point where it becomes so cumbersome they never start just start do something start filling out a notebook after you complete a whole notebook which takes a long time then you'll see that the, you'll you know your second notebook will be a little bit different there'll be uh you know uh more information in a second notebook than there will be in the first notebook because you'll be able to learn from your original notes how to condense it a little bit more and more and so on and so forth the key is to watch the shulim and and really try to acquire them try to acquire that shul. try to learn it in, in a, such a way where this has become part of you and i think that one of the main things that the chazunish is trying to tell us here in the section where he's talking about learning from different chachamim is that of course we all have to learn from uh, from tamidei chachamim people that know what they're talking about and we're all looking for for different diamonds from different people that are wh whatever they're saying but there is a key diamond that has to be found in every lecture in every speaker that you're ever going to hear uh or or read his work and that key that the uh Chazunish is a uh, is is covering now is the uh the fear of heaven uh the fear of heaven is not something that is replaceable is not something that uh you could excuse uh not having it's not something that you can ignore uh and uh and the Chazunish is now going to give us multiple examples that will answer many of your questions when people are asking me questions about different speakers some that i know about some that i don't know who they are whether they should read their work whether they should uh, watch their shulim and i've said this already uh, several times but i'll say it again for those people that haven't watched those shulim or perhaps have a brain that's a little bit uh difficult to, to get the first message generally speaking a person should not listen to more than two speakers it's it's just it's not necessary uh for you to listen to more than two speakers that are giving a lot of work out there meaning if there's uh you know a speaker that only gives a lecture uh you know two or three times a year then obviously that's not that doesn't qualify i'm talking about if you have a speaker a rabbi Talmud Chacham, that is giving lectures on a weekly basis then and, and he's good then that's what you focus on if you want a second one you can get a second one that does the same thing uh, but that's it. You don't need to listen to three, four, five, six speakers like many people do. And quite frankly, when people listen to multiple speakers, they tend to make uh, a lot of mistakes. They tend to make a lot of mistakes. They tend to get confused most often. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes they end up uh, going uh, into the uh, spiritual sewer uh, as a result of these things. And uh, it's, it's sad. Uh, if the person that you're learning from is a true Talmud Chacham, that means that his uh his well is not going to be uh complete just because 
uh, you decided it's complete. He's going to continue giving new insights, going to continue giving uh, new teachings that you need to learn from. And many times when people get inspired by an original speaker and then they move on to other speakers, little by little you see that those other speakers are cooling him off, are cooling her off. They're not warming them up. So the determining factor of whether you should listen to somebody or not uh, is, is really wh- how much they have Yirat Shemaim. How much Yirat Shemaim they have. The more Yirat Shemaim, the more you have to listen to them. The less Yirat Shemaim, the less you listen to them. And quite frankly, the Chazonish and many other places we'll discuss tonight will tell you that not, uh, not only uh, less you listen to them, but you do not listen to them at all in fact it's forbidden to listen to such people that do not have yirat shemaim and the way you know whether have someone has yirat shemaim is based on their own actions so the uh basically what is yirat shemaim i mean of course we all know the basic definition yirat shemaim is fear of heaven fear of heaven but what is really the uh yirat shemaim that a person needs to understand in his own uh, uh simple language how do i know what is what is this yirat shemaim what is this fear of heaven that a person uh, has, because we see that uh, Chachamim, like Rav Wasserman, of Elchanan Wasserman, literally knew a, uh, everything by heart. It's as if he knew the entire Torah by heart, but of course we're all careful when we, uh, when we say that, because the Torah is an endless ocean, and even the Rambam said that it's not possible to know the entire Gemara by heart, even though I know certain people that know, the words of the Gemara by heart, but to know the entire Gemara by heart is a world of difference. And just uh, uh, last night, I sent uh, one of my students an example of what uh, little people know uh, is that there is a series of books, series of books where they accumulated a uh, extraordinary amount of commentary about each daf of the Gemara. Uh, it's actually each page, which each page is two, each daf is, is two pages. Uh, so they have for each page in the Gemara, a bunch of commentary, not all of the commentary, but a lot of it. And they have a book for each page of the Gemara and each book, each book is, uh, somewhere around, I would say easy 800 to a thousand pages, if not much more, I, I haven't seen the, uh, uh, the page, I think it could be actually much more than that. Uh, but they have literally, if you see this video, I'm going to put it in this video, tomorrow, you'll see uh, 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 anyone that watches this video on YouTube uh, or on our app, Hashem app, we'll see the video, what I'm talking about. You'll see what collection of book you have there. And there are, this book is one of 5,500. So each book has... I don't know how many pages, it's a huge book, thin pages, and there are 5,500 of those books, because one for each page of the Gemara. And that's not even all of the commentary on the Gemara. Forget about all the commentary on the Chumash, the Tanakh, uh, the Yerushalmi, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch, and so on. The point is, the amount of information that's out there, no one knows all of it by heart. It's not possible, just like the Rambam said. But there are Chachamim that know an immense amount of Torah. It's as if they know the whole thing. It's as if they know the whole Torah, just like Rav Ovadiah knew at least 40 or 50,000 books by heart uh, that he had in his home. He knew where they are, he knew what pages, he knew every single thing, literally verbatim. Uh, better than a computer. But when they asked Rav Wasserman, about how does he remember all of the Torah? Does he have, was he born with such memory? 
He said, no, he said, I have, uh, I don't actually have good memory at all. So they ask, how does the, how does the Rav know all of this Torah? He says, because we have a Mishnah, we have a Mishnah that tells us that a person that forgets his Torah is a, uh, is uh, obligated to give his life. Meaning that a uh, person that a, uh, uh, forgets his Torah, it's as if he sh- he's supposed to be getting a death penalty. So he said, it's because I'm so afraid of the death penalty that I, I remember. It's not that I have a good memory. I'm afraid to forget. So when we see that fear of heaven is not just necessarily afraid of, you know, the uh, genom, the, the different levels and so on, but it's literally an awe of the Almighty that creates a uh, different level of person. Now, what is this awe? What is this fear of heaven? In simple terms, which we'll elaborate further during this issue, in simple terms, the awe of the Almighty is simply getting yourself to a point where you are afraid to sin or to cause other peoples to sin. That's, in essence, the uh, fear of heaven in, uh, in, a, in a nutshell. Being afraid to sin, being afraid to do things that are against the will of Hashem, thereby asking yourself whether something is allowed or not allowed before you do it. If you're asking after you do it, that's actually a sign that you don't have fear of heaven. Uh, or your fear of heaven is so small, it's almost non-existent which unfortunately happens many times when people ask me a question after they've done something. Oh, is this okay? You know, it's, it's a little bit frustrating at times, but I know sometimes I'm dealing with children. So uh, spiritually speaking, and sometimes uh, uh, actually, uh, so, you know, you don't really get upset at it, but you really want to get the point to people at times. And you have to explain to them to ask before they do. But that's generally the sign of Yilat Shemaim that you're asking yourself, asking the Torah, you're asking your rabbi, if something is allowed before you do it or it's forbidden before you do it and many times when people are very focused on uh, on certain things and they don't learn enough they figure that something that is necessary in their own mind to do uh must be allowed only to find out that it's forbidden like some people go into forbidden businesses which i've discussed in the past such as the uh uh, uh, cash advance business, or they call themselves merchant cash advance, or, or I don't know, highway robbery, whatever you want to call that business, that that business, unfortunately, is like a plague for Ami Slel right now. It's a plague. There are many Jews in that business. Of course, there are many Goim also in that business, but unfortunately, there are many, many Jews, and they're making a lot of the, uh, the headlines uh, and not in a favorable way. Uh, and there are many of them are in the in the business. Unfortunately, this plague has also infiltrated the uh, the from world, where you have uh, uh, many people leaving yeshiva, leaving kolel, in order to make this get rich quick scheme of lending money for high interest and in essence losing their olamaba. And I have a few people that have contacted me that have been watching my shuim for for a year, for six months, for two years, and then they ask me, "Listen, Rabbi, is it?" I know I just saw you made one of the a few shulim about this cash advance business, but I'm already in it. Can I stay? Uh, it's a, can I do this? Can I do that? And you ask yourself, how does this person not ask this question before he's in? And the reason why he doesn't ask or she doesn't ask before they're in is because they're blinded with, by money. They're blinded by the illusion of money. And unfortunately, once a person is blinded by money, 
uh, it's a they forget that Yirat Shamayim, they forget that fear of heaven is uh, something that uh, supposed to come and be applied before you make a decision, not after. So fear of heaven is a critical uh, item for a person to have. It's a it's it's one of the most important things for a person to have, but even more so. Most of us are not born with Yirat Shemaim. Most of us, or none of us, really, are born with Yirat Shemaim. It's really the only fear that uh, you're supposed to have, and not, uh, and it's not an innate fear. Just like Rabbi Israel uh, says, Rabbi Israel Misalant says in Or Israel uh, that uh, we um, people are afraid of everything. We're afraid of poverty. We're afraid of uh, bugs. We're afraid of uh, loneliness. We're afraid of everything. Uh, but uh, fear of heaven is not something that comes naturally to us. We have to work on it. So how does one acquire fear of heaven? First and foremost, you have to learn from someone that has fear of heaven. Simple. This is simple logic. This is not rocket science. This is not even a, uh, a one-track date of the Gemara. This is just simple logic. You cannot learn archaeology from somebody that sells shoes for a living. And all he knows is shoes. You cannot learn medicine from someone that uh, all he knows is how to cook. You cannot uh, do uh, learn certain things from people that don't have the knowledge. And most importantly, when it comes to Torah, you cannot learn Torah, period, any Torah, from someone who does not possess Yirat Shamayim. Now, this is a critical difference between Torah and everything else. You see, when it comes to everything else, all other subjects... I can learn math from a mathematician. But if the guy doesn't know math, then I could still learn whatever he does know. I can learn if he knows how to cook, I can learn how to cook from him. If he knows how to make clothes, I can learn how to make clothes from him. If he knows how to make planes, I'll learn how to make planes from him. I can learn other subjects from him. Even if he doesn't know, even though I'm looking for math, but he doesn't know math, I can still learn other things from him. But when it comes to Torah, as you'll see what the uh, uh, Chazonish here is saying, and, and really extensively, is that when it comes to Torah, if the teacher, whether that teacher is a speaker that you listen to on a, uh, uh, on a video or, or some type of uh, audio, or it's a book, if the teacher does not possess Yirat Shamayim, you cannot learn anything from him. Nothing. Not the Midrash, not the Zohar, not the Gemara, not anything related to Torah. You can learn cooking from him if you want, but you cannot learn anything related to Torah. So that's sometimes when people ask me, listen, there is this uh, book that was uh, translated or that was written by this person that's talking about the story of King David, or it's talking about the story of Moses, or it's talking about the story of such and such. It's a biblical figure. And uh, this person wrote the book, and it's really, it sounds really interesting. Can I read it? And I ask him, who is this author? And they send me some author that walks around half naked, uh, an author that uh, perhaps uh, recognizes themselves as Jewish, but in Shemaim, they're, they're recognized as a goy. Uh, and they're saying, I want to learn a Torah subject for a person who cannot identify Torah versus, I don't know, philosophy, if their life depended on it. So, of course, you cannot read such a book. Of course, you cannot listen to such a speaker. There is no question that you cannot learn from such a person when it comes to Torah. But for all of you that do have that question, Bezat Hashem, the Chazonish will give us the answer tonight. Now, 
also furthermore there are times where you see that you see a statement made either by a speaker or in a book or perhaps you uh, uh you heard it some other way uh you got it some other way where it gives you a little bit of a curveball it gives you a little bit of a curveball where it'll say something that perhaps will contradict some of the things that you've already learned such as the common uh, tool of the satan uh and uh and uh you know throughout the generations especially this one is to make people believe that punishment is really a christian belief it's not a jewish belief all jews go to heaven hashem loves everybody and even those that get punished the punishment is limited to only 11 months but it's only embarrassment so it's like you know they make fun of you for 11 months say some jokes behind your back you know uh, you know pull your pants you know slap you around a couple of times and that's it then you go to heaven with Moshe Rabbeinu that's unfortunately as ridiculous as that sounds that is unfortunately the the content that has entered many hearts many hearts of people and thereby has given them almost like a stamp of approval to continue their sinful life where everyone thinks it's gonna be okay God loves me because I was born a Jew even though I didn't choose to be a Jew even though I don't live like a Jew even though quite frankly I sometimes forget I'm a Jew nonetheless because I'm a Jew against my choice I'm taken care of this is the most heretical thought that could actually exist in some in somebody's heart because in essence what you're doing is you're taking the entire Torah and throwing it in the garbage and people like the uh, the, the great sages the great Sadiqim that have sacrificed their life for the sake of you being Jewish you're saying they're all losers they're all suckers they all you know uh, uh did it for no reason because they could have just simply been like you and they would have gone to heaven also but unfortunately today Rabotai, it has become a trend where people are distorting the Torah in such a fashion where if somebody wants to become popular this is exactly what they do they minimize the sin they focus on things that are generally common sense they distort the Torah in such a fashion in a philosophical fashion similar to the heretics of the reform movement and the enlightenment movement of a couple of hundred years ago in such a way where they make people believe that you know the punishment is so limited it's as if it doesn't exist and it's so limited and it's so minute that practically everybody goes there anyway so of course God is not going to punish everybody severely and what do they do they usually pick one of those statements that are in the Gemara that are in a Midrash that's in somewhere and it's relatively vague and if you study it by its own then of course you can arrive at this conclusion but as the Gemara in Yerushalmi says in Masechet Pe'ah that the words of the Torah are poor in one place and rich in another meaning we do not learn Torah from a single statement we do not learn Torah from a single place why because the Torah is a nervous system it's a spiritual nervous system and what our job is to do is to take all of the different places in the Torah whether it's the five books of Moses or the Tanakh or the Mishnah or the Gemara or the Shulchan Aruch or the Poskim 
or the Midrashim, or, or the Zohar Kadosh, or the different Divrech Rishonim, Achronim, and so on, all of the sages that have discussed this topic in order to arrive at a conclusion. And what you'll see is a very, very different conclusion. Now you say, wait, this seems too cumbersome, this seems too intense, how am I ever going to arrive at an actual conclusion? The good news is, number one, somebody else already did it before you, so you don't necessarily need to do it. Number two, you're not going to have such a tough time arriving at a conclusion because you're going to arrive at a conclusion well, well before you get to all the sources. You'll arrive at a conclusion by the time you get to a second source or a third source. You'll see how the original source is, 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 uh, is vague and is, is discussing something that perhaps you didn't understand the first time. And we're going to show one of those examples Bezat Hashem today, which is again a, the, the the same argument that people have that when they try to teach you or tell you and and really destroy your neshama and spiritually murder you, anyone that's trying to spiritually murder you is going to tell you that. And sometimes that spiritual murderer will be your father, will be your 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 rosh yeshiva, will be your cousin, will be your brother, may even be your husband or your wife or your child. They're going to try to spiritually murder you by thinking they're helping you, thinking that they're doing you a favor. And the reason why they think they're doing you a favor is because that's their belief. They're not learned in the subject, and they don't actually have real Yirat Shemaim, and they figure that they're right. If they didn't think they were right, they wouldn't be doing it. They would be doing something else. So they're teaching you the limited knowledge, distorted knowledge, and incorrect knowledge that they have, thinking they're doing you a favor, but in essence, at the same time, they're spiritually murdering you by trying to infiltrate your mind, by telling you this incorrect information, such as that, what I said before, genome is limited, everyone is going to be there only for 11 months, and blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff is not up for debate. And anyone that has watched my shirim throughout the years knows that we've brought literally hundreds and hundreds of sources. There are over 5,000 sources that I know of that discuss the issue of genome, and not a single one of them will ever, has ever, said such a thing that everyone uh, goes to heaven and that genome is only 11 months for everyone and all types of mumbo jumbo that they feed you in all of these torah network channels and uh, all these uh uh different uh people that call themselves rabbis anyone that has actually learned the subject of genome knows that it is as far from the truth as possible to believe that it's limited and quite frankly the ramban one of the Rishonim, 800 years ago, says that the people that think that it's limited are in essence turning God into a evil God because he's in essence judging everybody the same way uh, for the, for, in, in such a fashion that it doesn't matter what you do. Such a God that judges everybody the same way, whether the guy violated Shabbat once or he violated five times, whether he murdered one person or he murdered six million, whether he made two sins or 5,000 sins or, or a million sins, it's all the same. Obviously, this does not make any sense. Nobody in their right mind that actually thought about this will conclude such a conclusion. But unfortunately, since people don't like to think about negative things, they don't like to think about reality, they don't like to think about judgment and punishment, they simply just don't think. And they, but they are quick to conclude. They are quick to conclude things that are in their favor. And it's important for you not to do that and learn to ride the right way. And instead of arriving at a conclusion that, oh, look, it says over here at the end of the Gemara, Masechet Chagiga, that uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the wicked of, uh, of Israel 
our, uh, our uh, judge for uh, uh, 12 months. Oh, look, last page of Gemara Masechet says the wicked of Israel are uh, judged for 12 months. Oh, so you see the uh, rabbi YouTube and everybody else over there, all right, that's it. Forget about, uh, you know, uh, uh, worrying about violating Shabbat. Forget about worrying about anything. I could just simply do whatever I want. Why? Because if everybody's judged for 12 months, then that means that it doesn't make a difference what kind of sin you make. And everybody knows they're going to make some type of sin. One guy's going to violate Shabbat. One guy's going to do it accidentally. Another guy's going to do it on purpose. One guy's going to steal in his business. One guy's going to cheat on his wife. One girl's going to cheat on her husband. One is going to commit adultery. One is going to commit incest. One is going to steal. One is going to kill. Everybody's going to do something. So since everybody knows they're going to do something and everybody gets judged anyway, so if I'm already going to get judged, what's the point of keeping anything? I, I'm going to gain home anyway because I'm surely going to make some type of sin. I'm going to gain home for at least one year anyway. So might as well just sin, do the whole thing. Have a good time. That's in essence what, what that belief leads to. To believe that everybody gets the same judgment that one year is, is the maximum for everybody is a heretical belief that we've discussed time and time again, but it's also one of the things that the Chazonish here is 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 trying to uh, is trying to uh, uh, address as really one of the key things that a person needs to know in order to acquire Yilat Shemayim. So the uh, Chazonish continues this particular section. We are in the third chapter, the twenty uh, um, was the twenty fifth section, twenty fourth section. And he says, and he brings after he discussed about how there is a, you have to stay away from a person that is a scholar in a sense that he knows material, he knows how to quote things, he knows where to uh, find different things in the Torah, he knows how to give you answers, but he lacks Yirat Shemayim. Why? Because as it says in the Shukhan Aruch, Yoreh Deah 243.3, that a Torah scholar who is lax in his mitzvah observance and does not possess fear of heaven is like the lowest of the community. And the term Torah scholar mentioned here is referring to the external aspect that he has learned much and has served an apprentice to his teachers, but there is no doubt that his Torah is not fully clarified and his conclusions are not true because he is missing the main aspect, which is fear of heaven. So here he's telling you, yes, there are people that know a lot of Torah. They know a lot of material. They can give you answers for different things. But if they themselves are lax when it comes to mitzvot, things that are obvious, they're lax when it comes to modesty, their uh, 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 children, their wife, their students all walk around with no arms and no legs, uh, meaning they're not covering themselves. Uh, they're, uh, they themselves are, you know, lax. Sometimes they won't even pray. Uh, sometimes they won't put on tefillin. Sometimes you'll see them uh, eating uh, salads at a non-kosher restaurant. Uh, you'll see them uh, 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 disagreeing with the, uh, with the major sages, with Gdoleador and actually even insulting them. Uh, you'll see them discounting th- statements in the Torah and all types of things, clearly showing that these people have no Yirat Shemaim. Or you see these people uh, secluding themselves with women that are not their wife. Uh, these are things that are forbidden. And uh, such a person obviously has no fear of heaven. 
and therefore it doesn't matter what that person says you cannot listen to it why because whatever conclusion they arrived has wrong in it whether they arrived at that conclusion the wrong way or they simply arrive at the wrong conclusion either way you cannot listen to such a person and this is an alacha in the shulchan Aruch. now then the uh Chazunish brings the next source he says in the gemara masechet shabbat page 31 it's both 31 and a and 31 b it brings a uh, several different teachings from the sages about yirat shemaim says first and foremost when a person appears before the heavenly court he is asked certain questions what are the questions that are asked a per- to a person as soon as they arrive in shemaim they have left the world unfortunately like some people that were murdered today uh by these evil uh uh uh, uh palestinian terrorists uh at the kotel today Hashem Ishmael, uh may Hashem elevate their uh the uh the, the you know the neshama of all those that got hurt from it and uh and and left the world and uh give us flash to all those that were injured and uh lower the uh uh the genom and the kafakela and the chibuta kevil to the worst extent to all of those people that contributed to this murder uh whether directly or indirectly uh but intentionally nonetheless uh so these people are all going in front of the bed dean of heaven and they're all going to be asked same questions now of course if the person is a murderer the person is a uh is, is a is a is a uh, uh is such a person these questions are not relevant why because obviously they're a murderer they just there's no judgment they're not going to ask him if they had Yilat Shemayim. it's conclusion already but nonetheless if a person is a relatively normal person and they die whatever type of death whether it's death due to age or sickness or some type of strange death uh nonetheless the questions show up at the Din of Shemayim. and Rava says when they escort the person to his final heavenly judgment after his death the heavenly tribunal the bedding of heaven says to him did you conduct your business transactions faithfully meaning did you understand that Hashem is watching every transaction and therefore when you did a transaction you didn't cheat people you didn't sell them refurbished goods as as new you didn't charge them uh interest that uh is forbidden the predatory interest of the cash advance and pretend like it's kosher because you gave them a little piece of paper that's called a teriska but it's not really relevant to your business did you uh do things the right way or did you pretend like you're uh you're you're a you know person that believes but in reality you're a thief do you have a muna in your business that's the first business why because everybody could pretend to be righteous in the bit knesset everybody could give tzedakah but when it comes to business that's usually when people show who they really are if a person is not honest in business typically he's not honest in anything else he's not honest in anything else he's a he's a he's a bad person why because people that are dishonest in business typically have a lot of bad character traits whether it's ego or it's a uh, uh, greed and all the other terrible things that come with it so the first question that's asked in the bed of heaven is did you conduct your business transactions faithfully one of the, my favorite questions that people ask me is when people ask me business questions about you know whether certain things are allowed or not because that's usually how I get to know the person the best whether they have integrity or not 
whether they have integrity or not. You know, and somebody asks me, you know, should I, I took this, but I don't know if I was supposed to, should I give it back? Or I'm working for a company, they promised me a contract, but I didn't get a contract. Should I stay? Should I leave? Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I have partners and uh, they're not really delivering their end of the bargain, but I really don't want to replace them. What should I do? And so on and so forth. Different things that people ask about business. That's usually how I know whether they have integrity or not and how much integrity they have. And unfortunately, you'd be surprised that it's very common that people have zero integrity whatsoever uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to business dealings, where it's a almost a standard, almost standard. Uh, unfortunately, in some cases, where people steal, just outright steal, but they don't view it as stealing. Uh, it's 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 very strange, but nonetheless, it's uh, it's uh, it's become standard in the world. So anyway, to move a little faster in a shoe, more I know we're already almost an hour into it. So the heavenly tribunal says to him, "Did you conduct your business with faith?" Did you set aside fixed time for Torah study? That's the second question. Why? A person that does not learn Torah will not have a share in the world to come. End point. Person does not learn Torah will not have Olamaba. This is not a guess. This is not a uh, assumption. This is end point. Why? If you do not learn Torah, you will not know how to observe mitzvot. So, you have to learn some level of Torah. Of course, some people more, some people less. But the less you learn Torah, the more your responsibility is to contribute to Torah. You can't just absolve yourself from mitzvot because you're busy. If you're busy making money, that money better be going to Torah. Better be going to a kolal, career of organization, some type of Torah uh, investment that is has to do with learning Torah. Because if... You come to this world thinking that your only job in the world is just to make money and buy yourself new cars. Unfortunately, you're not going to survive the second question of the trial that you have in Shemaim at some point. So a person has to set a, a fixed time for Torah study. What does it mean, fixed time of Torah study? Daily study. Many times people tell me, listen, Rabbi, I learned Torah. I learned Torah, but it seems like I'm not learning enough according to you. It's not according to me. I don't make the rules of Torah. You want to learn the alchot of Limut Torah? Go to the Rambam. Rambam has uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, Mishneh Torah in there. He discusses the responsibility for a person to learn Torah, how much Torah, who has to learn Torah, poor, rich, single, married, young, old, uh, 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 anything and everything. Everybody has to learn Torah. Nonetheless, everybody has to learn Torah daily. Daily, not uh, what people think. Listen, I learned Torah, but I learned five, six, seven hours on Shabbat. Okay, what about the other six days of the week? No, I don't really get a chance. Oh, you don't get a chance? Then you have a serious problem. Why? Because just like you eat and breathe every single day, you have to learn Torah every single day. Of course, if you can learn a lot, learn a lot. If you can't learn a lot, learn something. And today it's so easy. It's so easy to learn Torah. All you got to do is go to the Be'ezat Hashem app, press play on anything. The first thing you see, press play and listen. Pay attention to it. That's learning Torah. Of course, you're going to need to do a little bit more than just that. You need to read books at some point. You need to uh, pay attention, take notes, as I discussed. But nonetheless, no one really has an excuse not to learn Torah. No one has an excuse not to learn Torah. Both men, women, children, uh, adults, doesn't make a difference. Everybody has Torah like that. And a person cannot go up to Shemayim without a positive answer to this question and think that they're going to survive the trial. That's the second question. Third question. 
Did you engage in procreation? Try to bring kids to the world. Unfortunately, many times people get married and they think that the marriage is like uh, the uh, the way that uh, uh, promiscuous people date. You know, they date. They're dating. They're married now, but they're dating. Why they're married, but they're dating? Because they're married, but uh, they're not ready to have kids. So they figure we'll take some birth control pills for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. And uh, whenever we're ready, we, you know, we're old and gray and we, we really can't stand each other anymore, then we're going to have kids to try to fix the marriage. That's, you know, <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing in the world. Uh, those people are, you know, unfortunately, a very, very bad, very bad, very, very, very bad, horrible situation in Jemaim. Why? Every single time they're together, it's considered wasting seed. Why? Who gave you permission? to be together without procreating if you've already had a child you've already had a boy and a girl that's one thing but you haven't had any kids you just got married and you just decide that you don't want to have kids for the first two three four five six seven years of your marriage and you think that's okay because you're a reformed or conservative or so-called modern orthodox rabbi uh didn't say anything about it or perhaps said it's okay you have a very serious problem why you're going to fail the trial in Jemaim. Marriage is not just simply for you two guys to live in the same house. And a person needs to know the procreation is a mitzvah from the Torah. And uh, in order to get a permission, uh, in order to, uh, to, to, to take birth control pills, uh, a person needs to literally get rabbinic permission, but uh, rabbinic permission from a Talmud Chacham who has Yirat Shemayim. Not somebody that knows a lot of books and knows how to find an excuse for everything. Someone that has Yirat Shemayim. Fourth question, did you wait in hope for the messianic salvation? Yes, did you wait for Mashiach? What about if the uh, rabbi, so-called rabbi, Erev Rav, says, no, rabbi, the uh, Mashiach is going to be a uh, political figure. He's going to win the next American elections. He's not only going to be a uh, Mashiach, but he's a, a politi- politician, but he's going to uh, be a politician in America. This rabbi is a demented, distorted, retarded thought that unfortunately some people in America have, uh, that uh, unfortunately some of them are actually relatively famous. Uh, and uh, this is as far from the truth as possible, of course. So to expect the Mashiach is to expect the Mashiach, to expect the Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation. It's going to be a human being, a human being that came from a father and a mother, not from a father and a father, and not from a mother and a mother, and not from uh, some immaculate birth. So human being came from a father and a mother that is going to be a righteous person, knows a lot of Torah, and most importantly, has Yirat Shemaim and is serving Hashem nonstop. And Hashem decides that this person is going to be the Mashiach due to, number one, their Davidic lineage. They're connected to David Melech, not theoretically, but biologically connected to David Melech. That's also the reason why he cannot be a convert. And second of all, second, is the fact that it's a uh, it's a person that uh, uh, Hashem wants them to be Mashiach. Hashem wants this person to be Mashiach. So it's of course the Rambam has in Chot Menachim all the different qualifications, all the different things. Uh, one of the things is that the person needs to be alive. Uh, but of course, some people will teach you that it could be somebody dead. Uh, but you know, we could take all of those ideas and you know, there's a delete box and you could you know do that with them. But nonetheless, a person needs to know that this. This Mashiach is going to be at that point when he's selected as Mashiach. 
he's going to be given supernatural powers. As it says in the uh, uh, Tanakh itself, and Prophet Jeremiah talks about how the Mashiach is going to be able to smell the sins and in essence punish people simply with words. Obviously, this is not something that uh, he's talking about cursing people out <laughs> or insulting them or saying good jokes about them. It's a, a Mashiach is going to be able to punish people simply with words uh, and, and know everything about them through their uh through uh smelling their yirat shamayim meaning he'll know how much yirat shamayim you have even if you are in alaska and he's in america uh and uh so a person needs to know that this uh mashiach is not going to be a uh a regular person if you will uh once he becomes a mashiach he's going to become a regular person uh before he becomes mashiach but once he becomes mashiach he's going to be given certain powers certain powers and a person needs to know that this mashiach is going to come at some point whether that's tomorrow or that's in a week from now or in five years from now or in two, 20 years from now we don't know we do know that according to our sages we are in the generation of mashiach but that doesn't necessarily mean that it'll come tomorrow it could be 20 30 years from now nonetheless a person needs to expect mashiach not expect mashiach because you think mashiach is going to solve all of your financial problems or your health problems or is going to fix your distorted community that's full of immodest people that's not what Mashiach is for. Mashiach is there to deliver the judgment. That's the end. That's what everybody is either going to get, reward or punished. It's the end of everything. That, so it's, he's not here to solve your social security problems and your, your IRS problems uh, and your, uh, your, your bank loans and uh, all of the uh, difficulty you have with the, uh, with the mortgage company or perhaps your landlord. That's not what he's here for. He's not going to uh, start giving food distributions to people and say, listen, you have food uh, for Shabbat. Okay, you know what? I'm going to cove over and give you a couple of challahs my wife just made. That's not what the Mashiach is for. A lot of people think Mashiach is going to be like some type of social security office that's going to uh, start uh, fixing everybody's problems. That's not what the Mashiach is for. He's not going to be a homeless shelter. He's not going to be a social office. Mashiach is going to be a king. And that king is going to deliver the judgment of a Kadosh Baruch Hu into the world. That's in essence what Mashiach is supposed to do. And of course, build the Bet HaMikdash and sanctify Kadosh Baruch Hu's name in, uh, in, in all corners of the world. So a person that is expecting Mashiach is not expecting Mashiach because he thinks, oh, Mashiach will solve my community problems, my, uh, my laziness problems, my financial problems. No, expecting Mashiach means that you are preparing your neshama for that every day by learning Torah, Doing, following the Torah, doing the mitzvot, doing chesed, contributing for, uh, for Torah, investing money into it, time into it, preparing your family, your children, your wife, your husband, your community, doing everything and, uh, 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 and anything possible to spiritually prepare for that arrival of the Mashiach. A lot of people are too hung up on this whole notion of Mashiach and the wars and they start getting too into it where they start saying, you know what? If there's going to be a war, I got to be packing. I got to be packing. They start buying guns. Like, you really think that the Mashiach is going to need your gun? If the Mashiach is going to need your gun, he's not Mashiach. He's some gangster. Mashiach is not going to need your guns. I don't know, I don't know who, who gave people this thought that the Mashiach is going to need your help to fight people. If the Mashiach is going to need your guns, he's not Mashiach. I can tell you that. Why? Because Kadosh Baruch Hu has had Am Yisrael fight great wars uh, that in at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu without guns, and Kadosh Baruch Hu won the wars for us without guns, and that's before this. This being the culmination of the world, it's needless to say 
that it's going to be even greater than anything else we've ever seen. So the the wars of the end of the world, worlds of Gogu Magog, is not going to need your contribution and your uh, your aim ability of uh, you being able to uh, to shoot people from I don't know two miles away. Forget about all that. What you need to do in order to prepare for Mashiach is simply prepare your neshama, prepare your neshama for it. People that are too focused on building this world unfortunately are not doing the right thing for themselves that's the next question first the next question after that is did you delve into wisdom meaning did you learn did you learn Torah through not only the uh the uh the one book that you got when you were six years old but you've gone into everything you went to Gemara you went to the Mishnah you uh, you went through the uh, Shulchan Aruch you went through uh, the Zohar, you went through the Chuma, you've gone through everything, you've, you've, you've tried, you've done whatever you could to acquire as much Torah as possible. You've not just a, uh, read it and uh, forget it. You've, uh, you've thought about what you read. How could I, uh, how could I make this something that I could uh, make it relevant to my life? And so on. Next question is, when you learn Torah, did you learn it deeply and infer one thing from another? Meaning, did you just learn Torah basically and just learn what was said, or did you try to develop it? Try to develop it. Try to see if there's something else that you could bring into the world. Now, of course, the Chazonish, uh, and I uh, said it in the, in the name of the uh, uh, Chatam the Sofer, said it originally, is that uh to, to bring new insights is uh new things is forbidden according to the Torah but yeah we have the whole concept of Hidushim new insights so what's the difference if your new insights is contradicting what's already there by the sages previous to you then of course it's forbidden it's wrong but if your new insight agrees agrees with the uh the basics of the Torah the fundamentals of the Torah then this is not only permissible but it's actually an obligation for every Jew to bring some of these insights because there are certain sparks of Kedusha that each and every single one of us needs to generate in this world and only we can do it meaning there are certain Kedushim that only I can bring into the world and there's certain Kedushim only you can bring into the world and a person that does not toil in Torah and thereby does not arrive at new insights that are legitimate, that are good, that are true, is going to be punished for the fact that there's less Torah in the world because of them. So this is also one of the questions that are asked of a person. So here you see a little bit over, you know, half a dozen or so questions that are asked in Shemaim. Of course, all the issues of whether a person committed adultery, wasted seed, uh, all of those other things, that's already answered because that's going to be the evidence that are shown to a person. But nonetheless, these are questions that are asked every single person. But then the Gemara says, but even if so, all this is of limited consequence. Why? If fear of God was this person's storehouse, then yes, his judgment is favorable. But if not, then no, the judgment is not favorable. Meaning what? The Gemara says, and that's what the Chazunish is quoting, if this person that learned Torah, that expected the Mashiach, 
that did business with Emunah and so on and so forth. If the foundation of all of it was Yirat Shamaim, then I'll have a favorable decision. But if he is lacking on Yirat Shamaim, it doesn't matter even if he did all of these things. The foundation of all of it is rotten and therefore he'll get a negative response, negative judgment in heaven. And then the Chazonish tells us here that this is the judgment for every single person as the Gemara says in Masechet Shabbat, page 31a. But then he says, look, there's another example the Gemara brings. There's another example the Gemara brings. What's the other example? The Chazonish says that uh, anyone who possesses Torah but no fear of heaven is likened to a treasurer who has been given keys to the inner chamber but not keys to the outer chamber thus denying him entrance to the treasure house so here we see that the Gemara uh, is now telling us that here we have an, a clarification clarification of why Yirat Shamaim has to be the foundation of all of the things that a person does whether it's conducting their business with Emunah or it's learning Torah or it's a uh, doing anything they have to have Yirat Shamaim as the foundation because if a person has that foundation that means they have a key both to the outer house the general surface of things uh access to the information but also the treasure itself which is the ultimate truth but if a person if a person is a uh lacking then he does not have the keys to the actual treasure itself he only has part of the keys a key to one of the doors but not to the the door that's going to lead him to the truth He'll never be able to get to the treasure itself, to the emet itself. Why? Because the only way a person can arrive at the emet is with this Yirat Shemayim. Another example the Gemara brings is a, uh, an analogy that I've said before, which is that uh, when a person is conducting business, person is conducting business, he has all these different uh, crops, and he has an employee, and he tells his employee, Go put all of these a uh, these crops in that uh, in that storage area, in that attic. After the person goes and puts all of the uh, crops there, he comes back to the boss. He goes, "Okay, boss, I finished. What now?" And the boss asks him, "Did you put chumtin, a preservative, on the crops before you put it away?" The employee says, "No, no, I didn't." And the response from the boss is that it was better off you didn't come at all to work and you didn't do anything why but at least i put them in the storage he says no you see if you put the preservative or you didn't put the preservative it makes all the difference in the world why if you didn't if you put the preservative that means that whatever you put away is going to stick around i could sell it I could sell it full price tomorrow but now that you didn't put the preservative that means that I'm for sure going to lose those crops they're gonna die and whatever is left I'm not even gonna be able to sell full price because everything's gonna be damaged so it's better off you didn't do anything why because if you didn't do anything at least 
they would have been out there and perhaps it would have gotten somebody else to do it or i myself would have done it or they simply wouldn't have gotten ruined as fast as you are ruining them now because now they're in the in the in the attic so the point is is that this chumtin this preservative is yirat if a person has fear of heaven that means that all of their mitzvot are going to be preserved they're being done for the right reason all of their learning is being done for the right reason all of their actions their kindness their tzedaka their uh their, their the words that come out of their mouth everything that they have has a good foundation but if a person does not have that good foundation that good preservative then in essence what it could be is that this person could be the exact opposite he could be learning for the sake of fooling people he could be uh doing kindness for the sake of cheating people like many people that uh end up doing ponzi schemes and all types of scandals where they steal money from rich people typically what you'll see is that those people are very generous or at least they look generous they're generous with other people's money uh but most but people don't know it so they're very kind they're giving money to a lot of charities why because it makes them look it makes their image look like a, they're a better person and therefore because they look like a better person more people want to do business with them so in essence their charitable work is not really charitable work first of all they're giving stolen money it's not their money so it's easy to give stolen money second of all it's a they're only doing it for the sake of getting recognition even though sometimes people are not giving stolen money they're giving their own money but they're only giving it for the sake of getting recognition so people invest with them or people do business with them or people uh think highly of them this is obviously a bad foundation bad foundation the same thing goes when certain people want to uh, give a shiu want to give a dvaltoa and they accidentally on purpose forget all of the sources what do i mean if accidentally on purpose forget all the sources where the Mishnah in Avot says in the uh, sixth uh, sixth perek that when a person says a uh, a dvar Torah a word of Torah in the name of who said it to him where they heard it from they are bringing the salvation closer they're bringing the Mashiach closer whereas when a person is uh, does not bring that source they're actually delaying the salvation why are they delaying the salvation maybe he just forgot we're not talking about somebody that just forgot occasionally we're talking about somebody regularly forgets accidentally but really in on purpose why why does he forget because he wants people or she wants people to think that she did it that she had this original thought that she learned it on her own even though she learned it from rabbi such and such even though she read it in the book such and such even though she heard it in lecture such and such she doesn't want people to know that she got the information from there because she fears that maybe people are not going to listen to her anymore and they're going to go listen to there directly or they don't want to listen to him anymore they're going to listen to somebody else they're going to think wait why should i do this why can i do i could just go directly to the source and they have all this mumbo jumbo calculations in their head and they do not give people the source or perhaps they have all types of things that happen in their life due to somebody's credit but they don't want to mention it they want to mention as if they did it it's their idea it's their innovation this is a thief this is a person that's a thief but unfortunately no one's going to know it other than Hashem and this is obviously a bad uh, a bad uh, uh, trait to have because a person like that that intentionally does not give the sources because he's either uh, uh embarrassed to say that somebody else knows more than him or he wants to pretend or she wants to pretend that they're smarter than what they really are or other types of uh flawed calculations these rabotai 
are bad things, are bad things, uh, and it's a uh, it delays the Mashiach. So a uh, a person that is teaching Torah with such attitude, it's better off they don't teach at all. It's better off to be quiet, talk to themselves, talk to themselves in the mirror if they want, record themselves, listen to themselves if they want. It's better they don't teach people. Why? Because they uh, they obviously have a very very serious flaw in their character called arrogance, and it's better that they don't teach the public. Now. Of course, a person that is uh, careful to mention whenever they can and uh, the, the places that they got their information is a person that knows that they are insignificant. And the most important part of the message is the Torah itself and not their own kavod, not their own honor, not that the people are going to like them or think that they're smart, but rather the truth is the most important part. And many times people forget that and because they're too busy uh you know trying to build themselves a name unfortunately so the uh the preservative the preservative of uh every single speech that a person will give every business deal that a person will will, will do every decision that a person will make has to be has to be the fear of heaven and if a person does not have fear of heaven their actions literally will crumble and become disgusting uh, when uh, when uh, when push comes to shove, now the next example that uh, the Chazonish brings is a another example in the same Gemara Masechet Shabbat, which is an extraordinary story, supernatural story that happened. That if you don't want to believe it, that's your problem. If you do believe it, it's uh, also a problem. Why? Because it obligates us. It obligates us, and also shows us where where the truth lies that sometimes the opposite of what our logic the Gemara says in Masechet Shabbat that Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar were sitting and Rabbi Yaakov Bar Acha walked by and one of them said to the other let us rise in his honor for he has fear of sin he has fear of heaven he has Yerat Shemayim the other Chacham said, let's rise for his honor because he's a Torah scholar. So the first Chacham said to him, wait, I say to you that he has Yirat Shemayim. And you respond to me that he's a Torah scholar. So Rashi comments on it. What is he really meaning? I said he has Yirat Shemayim. That's already the highest possible level you can be. You're telling me he's a Torah scholar. Being a Torah scholar is less than having fear of heaven. We should stand because of the Yachamayim, the highest reason, not uh, because of the Torah scholar. Even though being a Torah scholar is great, it's only great if it has the preservative of Yachamayim. And if he has Yachamayim, surely he has the truth. Surely he has a uh, wisdom. Why? Yachamayim, that's the treasure. That's the treasure of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. That's what he has. And whoever has Yirat Shemayim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives him, gives him Torah. So, who is this Rabbi Yaakov Bar-Acha? Rabbi Yaakov Bar-Acha in Gemara Masechet 29b. He was known to have Yirat Shemayim. Not just from this story, but from the story I'm about to tell you. Where there was one time a, uh, a Tanin. Tanin is like a reptile, but this reptile was a demon. So it was a demon in a uh in the shape of a uh reptile that had seven heads and 
לא פחות ולא יותר, not more, not less, this Tanin parked himself inside the Bet Midrash of Abaye, one of the sages of the Gemara. This one was such a strong demon that even if two people would walk by, he would, he would damage them. Usually the demons, they only mess with single, with one person at a time. This one was such a powerful demon that even if two people came, he would go against them. He would damage them. Furthermore, even if it was during the day or at night, usually the demons only deal with a night, day or night. So much so that this was a very big danger to the community. As a side note, this shows us that demons are very much a real thing. And the, uh, the people that say, oh, the Rambam didn't believe in demons simply don't know what they're talking about because they're simply misunderstanding what the Rambam wrote. He was talking about specific type in Israel, not all demons, because to believe in demons is simply a belief in the written and the oral Torah as they're mentioned in both. But nonetheless, the, uh, especially since the Rambam himself said that uh, anyone that doesn't believe a single word of the written or the oral Torah or even a chidush of one of the Chachamim is considered an apikos. So what do you think? The Rambam himself is an apikos, he's writing about himself. But anyway, some people like to draw a conclusion and then find somebody that agrees with them and then force somebody to agree with them. But anyway, this demon was a danger to the community and Abaye said, only a person with great Yirat Shemaim can beat this demon. So he told everybody, I decree that no one is allowed to invite Rabbi Yaakov Baracha into their home, which will force him, since he's visiting our town, it will force him to go to the Bet Midrash. And as soon as he gets to the Bet Midrash, the Tanin will be there, will attack him, and then I'll destroy him. And that's what happened. No one invited him. He tried. Rabbi Yaakov Baracha didn't know about all this. Knocked on the door. Oh, can I? No, no, no. Sorry. We're, we're full. We're full. We're not here. Nothing. Okay, nothing, nothing. Okay, Baruch Hashem. He goes to the Bet Midrash. Spending Shabbat in the Bet Midrash. Goes to the Bet Midrash. He sees this monster with seven heads come out and try to attack him. He says, one of the holy names of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Tach. One head is down. Says another name of a Kadosh Hu, Tach. Second head is down, and such he does for all seven names. The next morning, Abaye comes. Says, Ah, Baruch, you killed him. Abiyakov Aracha says to him, Hey, you put me in danger. Abaye says, No, no, no. I know how much Yirat Shamayim you have. And I had no doubt in my mind that your Yirat Shamayim, no demon in the world can, uh, can, uh, can mess with that. You destroy it just like that. It's a danger for him. As you can see. So anyway, this Rabbi Yaakov Baracha was Kodesh Kodeshim. And the most admirable thing that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Elazar, his son, can think of about this person is his Yirat Shemaim. What about all the Torah that he knew? Yeah, it's good he knew Torah, but there's a lot of other people that know Torah, but they're Reshaim Arurim, they're bad people. This one has Yirat Shemaim, surely that means that whatever Torah he knows is 100% emit. 
And that's more than any other reason of why we should stand up for him. Yeah, what about if he wrote books? If he wrote books that have Yilat Shemaim, we stand up for him. If he wrote books that have heresy in it, we don't stand up for him. Yeah, but what if he sold a million copies of his books like Sam Rasha and Eretz Yisrael sold a million copies of some book, but he calls himself an Orthodox rabbi while supporting the reform movement and saying that we should give a part of the Kotel to the uh, women of the wall. Such a person, not only you don't stand up for him, such a person you have to throw him out of the community, put him on cherem, and I'll tell you in a moment what else you have to uh, do to such people. But nonetheless, Rabotei Kalim, here we see that Yirat Shamaim is a very, very big deal in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his sages. Now, the further, the Chazonish brings another example. He says, there it says it all. Does it all, not Marah. All the Holy One, blessed be He, has in His world is fear of heaven. As it says in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse number 12. Where does it say chapter 12? Ve'ata Yisrael, ma Adonai Elohecha shu'el me'imach, kim li'ira'a et Adonai Elohecha, lalechet bechot drachav, so, Moshe Rabbeinu gives us a Torah commandment. This is in the written Torah. It's not sages anymore. We're going to the top of the top. Moshe Rabbeinu gives us a one of the commandments. What is the commandment? In Sefer Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse number 12. He says to Am Yisrael, now, O Israel, what does Hashem your God ask of you? Only to fear Hashem your God. And he continues to go in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, to your, your God, with all of your heart and all of your soul, to observe his commandments. But the Chachamim say, hold on a second. We obviously, the sentence is written in a certain way to show us not just what the commandments are, but furthermore, to show us the order of magnitude. Rishon, Rishon, Chashuv. First things first. The one that's mentioned the, the, the first is the most important. What's the most important thing that he says? What does Hashem ask of you? What is he asking you? What, what, what is this whole big thing that Hashem is commanding of you in this whole life that you live 70, 80, 120 years? What, are you, what is he asking you for? To fear Hashem. Only to fear Hashem. That's what Hashem is asking of you. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling us here, Rabbi that's what he's telling us. To fear of the Almighty. And further the Chazonish brings another source. What's the source? The book of Job. book of Job is giving us a clear pasuk from the Tanakh that's being said by HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. Meaning, you can argue that fear of heaven is a commandment that Moshe Rabbeinu instituted as a rabbi. And even though it says you should listen to the rabbis, you can still argue, hey, listen to the rabbis, you're right, but it's not as great as listening to Hashem himself. Yeah, but what if it's in a written Torah? The apikosim, the heretics, will always come up with an excuse. Now, of course, we have a debate for that excuse. What's the debate for all these spiritual terrorists? 
you look at Parashat Shoftim, chapter 17, verse number 9 till 12, it says, And you shall come to the Kohanim, to the Levites, and to the judge, meaning to the rabbis, who will be in those days, meaning not just today at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, but any day to the end of uh, this world. So whether it's the Kohanim, or it's the Levites, or it's the rabbis, the sages, who will be in those days, you shall inquire, and they will tell you the word of judgment. Go to the Bedin, they'll tell you what the truth is. You go to the Posek, it tells you what the Alecha is. You shall do according to the word that they will tell you from that place that Hashem will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to everything that they will teach you. According to the teaching that they will teach you and according to the judgment that they will say to you, shall you do. You shall not deviate from the word that they will tell you right or left. So here we see a Torah commandment to listen to the Gdoleado, to listen to the rabbis, opposite of what the missionaries tell people, opposite of what heretics tell people that you could just simply be your own rabbi or just simply exclude every rabbi that you want, no matter who he is, treat them as if they're peers like you. Here we have a Torah commandment. From the five books of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, that obligates us to listen to the rabbis. And one of those rabbis was Moshe Rabbeinu, but he's obviously the prophet of all prophets, giving us the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And anyone who doesn't want to listen, Torah continues saying, and the man who will act with willfulness, not listening, to the Kohen who stands there to serve Hashem your God, or to the judge, that man shall die, and you shall destroy the evil, from among Israel, the entire nation shall listen and fear, and they shall not act willfully anymore. Meaning that a person that went against a rabbinical enactment even, would get a death penalty. At the time of the Sanhedrin. Now you're going to say, wait a minute. What if this guy uh, has a family? What if he, yeah, he's a heretic. Yeah, he says God needs you. Yeah, he says you should uh, convert people even though it's questionable whether he himself is Jewish. Yeah, you should do a lot of things even though they're forbidden according to the Torah. But he has a family, he has kids, he's nice to some people. Can't have any mercy on him? Torah continues. Chapter 19. But if there will be a man who hates his fellow and ambushes him, and rises up against him, and strikes him mortally, and he dies, and he flees to one of these cities. Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and place him in the hand of the Redeemer of the blood, and he shall die. Your eye shall not pity him. You shall remove the guilt from the innocent one's blood from Israel, and it shall be good for you. So although this section is talking about somebody else that was a murderer, it's needless to say that this is also talking about spiritual murders. Where the Torah is telling us that whether someone was a physical murderer or a spiritual murderer, whether someone was going against the, uh, the, uh, the Torah uh, or the words of the sages, there was no permission to have pity on them. And Shalom Hashem Amal There's a pasuk in Isaiah 
No peace to the wicked, Hashem said. Your eyes shall not pity him. We're not allowed to have pity on wicked people. Why? Because they don't have pity on other people. They don't have pity on themselves. Now, of course, it's even better to hear Moshe Rabbeinu say all this. But we also have, in the words of the prophets, that are, in essence, words of Hashem. The prophet Job, which is what the Chazonish is bringing. He says in the uh, prophet Job, chapter 28, verse 28. That Hashem is talking. Hashem is talking to, uh, to, to Job. And he said to man, he is Hashem. He said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And refraining from evil is understanding. So here, Hashem in essence is telling us what He wants in order for Him to give you wisdom. You can say, if I read a book a week, I'm going to have wisdom. You can say, if I photo record in my mind, I have photographic memory, I'm going to acquire wisdom. You can say, if I uh, study 12 hours a day, I'm going to have wisdom. Hashem says, no. Hashem says, no. Those are good things. But, if you're looking to acquire wisdom, acquire fear of heaven before it or alongside it. And the more fear of heaven you will have, the more wisdom you'll have. The more wisdom you'll have. Because fear of the Lord is wisdom. And it says, The fear of heaven, that's his treasure. So, then we have Chazonish elaborating, where he says, Why is the verse in Job saying, Hen yirat Hashem? Hen, in Greek, also means one. As if to say, this fear of heaven is the only thing that Hashem has in His treasure. He used to also have the Shabbat in His treasure chest, but He gave that to Am Yisrael. So all that's left in His treasure chest is fear of the Almighty. You feared Him for 20 minutes today. He feared Him a half hour today. Another guy feared Him the whole day. Everybody feared Him at different parts of their life. Hashem takes all of that fear of heaven, that's what he puts in his treasure chest. Yeah, what about the fact you gave uh, challah to somebody? That's nice, but it's not in his treasure chest. What about the fact you gave tzedakah? It's nice, but it's not necessarily going to go in his treasure chest. Depends on why you give tzedakah. So, what goes into Hashem's treasure chest is the fear of heaven that his people have. That's what he has. Now, The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit is the next source that the Chasonish brings. Gemara Masechet Ta'anit, page 7. 7 8 to be exact. says that 
on the verse, Yarof, Kamatalikhi. This is a uh, verse in uh, Proverbs that uh, means my uh, teaching shall drip down like rain. Rava, one of the sages, wonders about the usage of the word Yarof because it also means to behead or to sever. And therefore he says about this that if a Torah scholar has integrity, he is like dew. But if not, sever his head. So what does this whole thing mean? So let's look at the Gemara. Why it says the following. Rava teaches that the second half of the verse in Proverbs says, that the, uh, my teachings, meaning the Torah, shall drip down like rain. But the second, but the, uh, but the second half, I'm sorry, the first half says what I just said. The second half says that my speech shall be like a dew. So the sages teach from this that this is, in essence, Torah teachings being taught by a scholar. Who to learn from? If the, the Torah is compared to rain, and also to do, if the Torah scholar is being taught by a Talmit Chacham that has Yirat Shemaim, Torah is being taught by a Talmit Chacham that has Yirat Shemaim, then it's desirable, it's never, uh, we never want it to finish, we always want it, it's like do. But if this so-called Torah scholar has bad character traits, has no Yirat Shamaim, then his Torah teachings are like a rain that you do not want, a rain that's destructive. But the Chachamim say, why is the word Yarof used in this proverb? Because Yarof also means to sever, to cut off. So Rashi says that's because it's being hinted here is that a person that has, that's not a, uh, um, not a good scholar in a sense that he has bad character traits is a person you should kill. Now again, I'm not advising anybody to kill anybody and violate the law of the land and so on. What I'm telling you is, this is the attitude that we would have to somebody in order to arrive at a very easy conclusion why we should never learn from such people. Because according to the Torah, these people shouldn't even be alive. Time of the Sanhedrin, they wouldn't be. But here, Rashi, Rashi says, this person should be chopped off his head. Just like the Egla Ufa, there was a, uh, anytime there was a, uh, a murder in, uh, and the body was in the middle between two cities, how would they decide? Uh, they would decide which city this murder belongs to and then they would take a, uh, a uh, sheep uh, uh, and, uh, 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 what's it called, and chop its head off or hit it from the back of the head. Long story short, the olive is the back of the neck. Now, You'd be surprised that uh, this actually is not just a gemara. This is an actual alacha. Where is this alacha? 
שולחן ערוך. יורה דעה, סימן קנ"ח. רבי יוסף קארו is talking about people that are missionaries, people that are heretics, people that are causing the public to sin intentionally, not, on, not accidentally. He says, I'll just translate it to English versus reading in Hebrew and English to save some time. Uh, people that are idol worshippers, there's a, uh, uh, people that serve others, there's a war between us. We want death for them. And we have no reason to save them if they're in a, in a uh, uh, if their life is in danger. Where if you saw one of them drowning, we don't save them. If you saw one of these missionaries that uh, is preaching uh, some type of idolatry, one of these heretics that's preaching idolatry, you see them drowning, you don't save them. And you won't even, even if he wants to pay you, Shulchan says. And even to heal them, you shouldn't heal them. Even for money. And who is this referring to? Who is this referring to? Regarding a Jew that has sins and knows that he has sins and he stands his ground with his sinful behavior and continues it regardless. We're not talking about idol worshippers that are non-Jews. It's actually specifically talking about Jews that are preaching all types of idolatrous beliefs, all types of heretical beliefs on purpose, and they know it, and they continue doing it. And just like a... Uh, 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 a... Uh, animal that doesn't know which way it's going these people go with their stupidity and a uh, jew that's uh, uh has uh these uh, these types of uh uh has sins but is not uh doing it in order to cause hashem uh, anger or uh doing it for for evil reasons Simply, he looks to enjoy himself. He wants to, you know, he wants to drive on Shabbat because he wants to go to the beach. He wants to go with a non-Jew because he just likes her for his physical desires. Simply to fulfill his desires, even if he eats pig or eats whatever he wants, it's a mitzvah for us to save such a person, his life, both spiritually and physically. But the minim. Those people that are uh, missionaries, that are idol worshippers, or those that are heretics that do sins for the sake of uh, causing uh, anger, even if they, if we see them eating non-kosher, or eating or uh, 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 wearing shatnez for the sake of causing. Uh, causing uh, people to, to see it and in essence to cause anger. 
these people are missionaries these people are apikosim who act in a heretical way against the torah against the prophecy of israel it's a mitzvah to kill them if a person has the strength to do it should do it with a knife in public why because it's kiddush hashem to kill such a person again i'm not telling anybody to kill anybody this is what the Allah is the time of shukhan aruch the time of sanhedrin actually and he starts going into the details of how you should kill such a person if you can't kill him in public should trap him say all types of rumors about him a uh if uh you could uh make it so that he falls into some type of uh hole or say all types of uh, do all types of things to cause this person to fall off of a roof and he gives you all types of strategies of how to kill such these these heretics I mean this is again I'm not telling any of you that you have a permission or you should or it's recommended for you to kill anybody physically I'm just simply telling you what the Torah views such people that are heretics and simply teach the wrong thing intentionally now when the Torah views such people as so bad that it's a mitzvah to kill them no different than killing Amalek himself we have to ask ourselves wait a minute okay so the people that are good how do we know like that they have this that they have this fear of heaven who has this fear of heaven that we can compare it to because the Gemara in Masechet says if the person has no Yerat Shemaim it's uh, obviously surely it's better not to kill this person it's surely better not to learn from this person person is better off not being alive and uh, on the other hand we have a Gemara that will throw us a curveball on everything we just said what's the curveball the curveball is that at the end of Gemara Masechet Chagiga, it says that Poshei uh, Israel All right yeah so it says that push Israel have many mitzvot like a pomegranate and that's in essence protects them against genome so on one hand you're thinking about okay wait you just talked about all these criminals you seem to kill them but over here the Gemara is saying that these people have a lot of mitzvot like the pomegranate so and it's even going to protect them against gay no needless to say it's going to protect them against any bad in this world 
So what's the uh, what's the pshat here? What are we talking about here? How do we what's how, how do we arrive at an actual conclusion? So remember what I said before. Torah is poor in one place and rich in another. The Chazoni says, whoever learns Torah for ulterior motives, it becomes like a deadly poison to him. Just like it says about the Igla Rufa. And there's a verse about not harming uh, fruit trees. It's mentioned in the uh, Torah. There's a whole section about how you're not allowed to uh, harm fruit trees. And over there it says, uh, that a person, he is the, uh, he is the tree. So in essence, they're comparing a man to a tree in the field. So just like a person that's a righteous person, uh, has protection from heaven, he's compared to a fruit tree. You can't touch him. On the other hand, if the person has no has no fear of heaven, he's compared to a tree that you can uproot. You can uproot. So we have a lot of things here that say that these people, we should never learn from them. These people are terrible. These people are learning for, for, for the bad teaching for the wrong reason. They have all the uh, they make all the mistakes in the world. On the other hand, we have a Gemara that says that wait a minute, there are people that are uh, criminals, but yet they have a lot of mitzvot, and those mitzvot will protect them even from Gainom. Mind of Shah. what's the what, what's the conclusion here? So first, we have to delve into a different Gemara. Delve into a different Gemara that's going to teach us a little bit more about Yirat Shemayim. And this Gemara is going to teach us a little bit of Yirat Shemayim, not just in a typical sense, but in a mystical sense. Not because it's a something that's a... Uh, you have a uh, choice to believe or not believe because it's word of Marah, but rather because it's not something that you'll see every single day. What is this? Talks about angels. Where do we learn about fear of heaven? Meaning, the fear of heaven. The fear of heaven is something that we uh, keep hearing from the sages that we should be afraid of heaven. And this Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit says that if the Talmud Chacham that you're learning from has character traits like an angel, you should learn from him. If he has character traits that are not like an angel, don't learn from him. So we want to hear, okay, what does the angel have? Who is this angel? To a specific type of angel. So then we'll go to Gemara Maseret Chagiga. Gemara Maseret Chagiga talk to us a little bit about angels. And it brings a pasuk from the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verse 10. And it says in the pasuk, it says, a stream of fire 
was flowing forth from before him, meaning before Hashem. A thousand thousands were serving him, and a myriad of myriads were standing before him. This is a prophecy that the prophet Daniel had, and he's talking about it. We saw the Kisea Kavod, he saw these chayot, these special angels that the Rambam talks about in Ilchot Yisudei Torah, these special types of uh, angels. And the prophet Daniel saw them, these enormous beings. And uh, he said, not only did he see them, he saw these thousands upon thousands endless amount of other angels. They were all serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Gemara says, it says that all of these angels were in a, uh, next to a uh, stream of fire, was flowing in this prophecy next to everybody. What is this stream of fire? It says, if you look at the verse, the verse says, Nahal Dinu. Nahal Dinu is the name of this river of fire, the stream of fire. And this stream of fire comes from the sweat of the angels called Chayot. Because of how scared they are of HaKadosh Baruch Because they are the closest. There are different angels. Different types of angels that HaKadosh Baruch created. There are certain angels that HaKadosh Baruch creates that uh, are uh, created every single day. They say uh, the uh, uh, Kadosh, 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 and then they get destroyed. There are certain angels that give a, a messages to uh, mankind. There are certain angels that uh, do uh, all types of different jobs. In the Ilchot Yesodea Torah, the Rambam listed the 10 different types of angels. One being the Chayot, which are above all the others. Two is the Ofanim, then the Erelim, then the Chashmalim, the Seraphim, the Malachim, the Elohim, the sons of the Elohim, the Kruvim, and the Ishim. All ten of these names were angels, are different types of angels, which, and the names reflect their spiritual levels. And each one has a different job. When an angel comes to this world, just like we saw in last week's parasha, in the fight between Yaakov and the Sar of Esav, how can you fight an angel? Chachamim teaches that when an angel comes to this world, they wear the clothes, meaning the flesh of humans. That's why he was able to grab him and fight him and so on. So, but then you have other angels that are uh, in the upper worlds, and one of them is called the the Chayot. Those are the highest level of angels. In essence, they are the ones that are closest to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. But even they, at the highest level that they are, they do not know have a full comprehension of Hashem. Only Hashem has a full comprehension of Himself. But nonetheless, the closer the angels are to Hashem, the more they're afraid of Him. 
Because the more they recognize what he is, the more the, the, the recognition is, the more scared they are, the more they sweat, and the more that sweat pour, more sweat pours into that river of fire called Nahal Dinu. So from there we see that literally there's nobody that is afraid of Hashem as much as the highest angels, because they're the closest, they're literally sweating fire. Literally. question is what happens to this fire the Gemara says this fire Amarav Zutra Bartuvia of Zutra Bartuvia said in the name of Rav the perspiration of the Chayot that goes into Nahardinu all of that fire gets poured on the head of the Reshaim in Genom. All of that fire gets poured on the heads of the wicked in Genom. As it says in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 19. Behold the storm of Hashem, a fury shall go forth a tempest shall seek rest it will rest upon the head of the wicked so here we see that the mitzvot are not exactly protecting everybody so how come the Gemara says that even though the wicked or the push a Israel it said not wicked it's push a Israel are uh, the wicked among Israel are uh, have a lot of mitzvot to protect him in Gainom, but yet here it says that there's fire being poured on him not only fire but fire of the highest angels that are bigger than planets and fire that is endless amount of times bigger than the fire that we have in this world because the lowest fire in heaven is 60 times greater than the highest fire here and that's the lowest fire there so of course this is fire that's much higher this is infinitely higher fire and it's not protecting the wicked and this is the same Gemara it's not a different Gemara this is page 13b and the other one was the end of the Gemara page 27a so how could on one hand the fire of the angels that have the biggest Yad Shemayim be poured designated to pour it on the wicked in Genom while on the other hand you're saying that there are certain people that have a lot of mitzvot and those mitzvot protect them how could the two be so the chachamim say you have to pay attention to the words being used because not all wicked are the same not all wicked are the same not all wicked are the same here it's talking about the wicked and the end of the gemara that says protection says push a israel what's push a israel these are wicked, but they're still considered part of Am Yisrael, meaning they still keep Shabbat, they still uh, serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they still do mitzvot, they still do everything, but they have some crimes. They made sins here and there. So even though they made sins here and there, they're still considered part of Israel. Therefore, the mitzvot protect them and their judgment is limited. 
But if this person is a Mechalel Shabbat, Allah says he's considered an idol worshiper. If this person is a mean and apikolos, he's considered an idol worshiper. If this person is a machtia rabim, causes the public to sin, he's considered not part of Am Yisrael. And therefore, the fire of the chayot and Nahar Dinur goes on his head and there's no protection on such a person. Why? He's not considered Poshe Israel. He's just a Poshea. He's not just a wicked person among Israel. He's just considered wicked because he's no longer part of Am Israel. He didn't keep Shabbat. He caused other people to sin. He's a missionary. He's a heretic. That person, there's no protection whatsoever on such a person. And who are those people? Who are those people? Says the Gemara. These people are not people that were just created right now. These people, these neshamot of the wicked people, have been around already for generation after generation. Created 974 generations before Hashem created the world. And Hashem, in essence, because they're so wicked, He had to distribute some of these Erev Rav into different generations. Into different generations because the world would not be able to exist if they all came at one time so hashem simply put them into different generations these people that cause the public to sin distort the torah even sometimes they call themselves a rabbi even if sometimes they call themselves a chassid or a dayan or they know a lot of stuff these people are erev rav and those people you cannot think for a moment that they were allowed to have mercy on such people these people are the worst people on the planet these are Erev Rav, and there's Erev Rav in multiple ways. There are Erev Rav in multiple ways. One way is a person that's completely anti-Torah, and one person is a person that learns Torah, but learns it for the wrong reason, and teaches for the wrong reason. What are such examples? You have a tzaddik by the name of Chafetz Chaim, lived about 100 years ago, who one time... He uh, was teaching in the yeshiva, and there was a uh, well-known Rosh Yeshiva that came from far away to visit the Chafetz Chaim. And Chafetz Chaim, Natan lo et alfo, gave him the back of his head. Like the Gemara says, if a person has no bad character traits, give him uh, the, uh, the back of the head, and has to chop his head off spiritually, so this Rosh Hashiva noticed that the Rav is not paying attention to him, but it's intentional. Now he doesn't see him. So he waits, waits, tries to get the Rosh Hashiva's attention. The students are seeing it, but they're seeing that the Chafetz Chaim, Kodesh Kodeshim, is intentionally ignoring this Rabbi who came from far away to see him. After everybody got their attention from the rabbi and so on everything calmed down eventually the Rosh Hashiva approached the Chafetz Chaim in such a way that he had to get a response and he said would the Kvod Arav please tell me why he's giving me the back of his head what did I do am I missing something does the Rav know me so the Chafetz Chaim says to him I know a labeler Bronstein. You know him? Rosh Shiva thinks, 
label of Bronstein, label of Bronstein. Oh, yeah, 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 label, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a long time ago, Kvodarav. Yeah, I know a label, yeah, yeah. So Chafetz Chaim says to him, no, what happened with label? He says, well, label was in our yeshiva many years ago, but uh, he wasn't able to uh, pay tuition. His family wasn't able to pay tuition, they weren't paying. And even though we kept him in our yeshiva for a little while, we couldn't uh, continue letting him not pay, so we threw him out. Even though the mother asked you. Yeah, they asked, but uh, we can't make such a ruling and just let the person stay in our yeshiva for free. Why? What's, 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 do you know what's wrong with Labela today? You know what happened to Labela? Did you follow him? See where he went? The Rosh Yeshiva says, No, Kvod I don't know what happened with Leibola. The Chafetz Chaim says to him, Leibola is now Leon. Bronstein is now Trotsky. Leon Trotsky. The founder of the USSR, communist, who's causing endless amount of Jewish blood to be spilled causing endless amount of Torah to be desecrated that's label of Bronstein you rejected the labeler you rejected the Bronstein so the Trotsky is punishing the rest of us Rosh Yeshiva then understood two things. One, the mistake that he made back then. And two, what an Erev Rav looks like, but how he could have stopped it. Simply by teaching Torah for the right reason and not for just for money. Of course, Trotsky, Machshimo, caused an endless amount of Jewish blood to be spilled and didn't stop it until Stalin murdered him. But nonetheless, Your conquerors, your destroyers will come from within you. We see here, Rabotai, that sometimes you'll see a person that knows Torah but is teaching it for the wrong reason. And such a person is better off he doesn't teach. Sometimes you have a different type of problem. You have a person that shows that he has Yirat Shemayim, but it's really for the wrong reason. He has Yirat Shemayim, but it's for the wrong reason. What is that? The Zohar Kadosh, and actually in Tikkunei HaZohar, Tikkunah Zohar says in uh, Tikkun uh, Ravaya in Daf 141 Kuf Mem Aleph Amud Aleph it says Deit Yerev Eit Yerev there's a there's Yirat Shemaim and there's Yirat Shemaim there's two different types of Yirat Shemaim 
and it ava uh, ava. There is uh, love of Hashem and there's love of Hashem. Meaning, there's real one, there's fake one. And as some people that have this fear of the Almighty, they don't la'anuta because they're scared that Hashem won't make them poor if they don't have uh, fear of heaven. So they do the mitzvot not because they want to serve Hashem. Rather, because they want to make sure Hashem doesn't make them poor. Or, they're uh, they're, uh, they're serving Hashem either because they're showing fear of the Almighty, either because they're scared that He won't make them poor, or because they, they, they want Hashem to make them millionaires. And they continue testing Hashem. Oh, look, see, I kept Shabbat. I'm going to be a millionaire now, right? Oh, look, Rabbi, I've been protecting my uh, breed for two months. Now I'm going to have a lot of Parnassah, right? Oh, listen, Rabbi, what do I get if I keep Shabbat from now on? Oh, Rabbi, listen, if I give uh, 100 bucks a month, Hashem is going to give me 10 times or 100 times more. They do the mitzvot and in essence show as if they have fear of heaven because they're trying to get to, you know, they're trying to see if Hashem is going to make the millionaires and they keep testing Hashem. Says, woe on such people. Woe on such people. They don't have fear of heaven. They have fear of a millionaire. Fear of money they have. So you have such people like this. You have such people that serve Hashem for money and then in essence they don't teach for the right reasons. You obviously have people that speak against the truth on a regular basis. And unfortunately, uh, no one is, uh, not enough people are doing anything about it. But in the times of the Gemara, things were a little different. In the Gemara Masechet Moed Katan, page 17a, one of the places where it says that you shouldn't learn from such wicked people that have bad character traits, that don't have fear of the Almighty, it gives an example where there was a certain young rabbinical scholar who knew a lot of Torah and was teaching a lot of people. But people knew this guy deals with women, not just uh, his wife adultery, all types of filthy, disgusting acts. And word on the street was, this guy's a genius, knows a lot of Torah, he's teaching a lot of boys in the community, but he's also a uh, womanizer. So this came to the Chachamim. And Rabbi Rabbi Yudah says, what do we do with this guy? On one hand, if we put him on Nidui, we kick him out. The rabbis are going to suffer. Why? Because they use him to teach their students. On another hand, if we don't excommunicate him, if we don't excommunicate him, then it's going to be Chilul Hashem. That either we're covering for him and we know what he's doing and we don't care, or we're stupid and we don't know that he's causing all this damage under our uh, nose. At the same token, there's going to be less Torah in the world. This guy teaches Torah. He even teaches Demet. He even teaches Musar and everything else. 
But in reality, he doesn't believe it. He teaches about Yirat Shemaim, but he doesn't follow Yirat Shemaim himself. He just knows how to say the words. Unfortunately, that exists also in the world. People that talk about fear of heaven, but they themselves don't have fear of heaven. And this, unfortunately, also came out recently. Some Rashai in Eretz Yisrael that would say, good divrei Torah, but he himself was a pedophile. Unfortunately, people are criminals in their mind to such an extent that they don't even realize that they're criminals. Nonetheless, you have a situation in Gemara 2,000 years ago. says we have a person that teaches a lot of Torah. Everybody depends on him in the community. By the same token, he goes with girls, women, breaks houses. Says Rav Yudah, excommunicate him. Excommunicate him, that's it. Why? Because we have a teaching. We have a teaching that says... It says a, uh, in the uh, Torah, for he is like, like a, uh, an angel of, uh, of the God of hosts. What does this mean? It means that if the teacher resembles the angel of God, meaning if he has Yirat Shamayim, like we were talking about, where he sweats, spiritual fire because of how afraid he is from Hashem. If you could see that this person has Yirat Shemaim, then you listen to his Torah. You listen to his words to no end. But if not, not allowed to listen to his words. Not allowed to, to listen to Torah from him. What about all the things, the Chidushim that he has, all the new insights? What about the fact there will be less Torah in the world? What about the fact that uh, the, uh, he's famous? All that stuff? not considered even for a moment it all goes in the garbage it all goes in the garbage why if he does not have Yirat Shemaim, you're not allowed to listen to Torah from him you're not allowed to use him you're not allowed to invite him you're not allowed to give him kavod nothing nidui and eventually and he put him on uh, nidui for a long time time passed eventually Rav Yudah became ill in this People came to visit him on his deathbed. One of the people that came to visit him was this adulterer, Talmit Chacham. And as soon as he arrived, Rabbi Yudah started laughing. He says, what are you, making fun of me now? Not only you put me on Nidu, you're making fun of me? He goes, no, I'm not making fun of you. It's just that you're reminding me that I have a ticket when I go up to Shemaim, to show up to Shemaim, that I had Yirat Shemaim. What's my ticket? You. Why? Because we lost a lot by not using you. We didn't have a replacement right away. We had to figure out who's going to teach the kids, who's going to teach the adults, who's you were a teacher. But because we know that you have no Yirat Shemaim, we put you on Cherem, even though it causes a financial loss, a headache and everything. We took it. Why? Because you have no Yirat Shemaim. So you are my ticket in Shemaim to show the Hashem, even when I lost. Even when it caused me a loss, it didn't make a difference. Why? Because I'm afraid of you much more than I'm afraid of losing money. And even after Rav Yudah passed away, this person came up, tried to get back into the community, but Besiat Dishmaya, some other Chacham came from out of town and spoke against it, and they kept him out. Why? Because this person from Shemaim 
even though he was hiding his sin apparently the sin was continuing just behind closed doors it wasn't as open as it was in the past so HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure he never goes back into the community and eventually a uh, uh, he got uh, stung he got stung in his male member and he died he got stung by some uh, some bug in his male member as a measure for measure punishment for what he was doing and Gemara says he died shortly after that so here we see Rabbi that yes there are people that know a lot of Torah but they are wicked people and we're not allowed to listen to Torah from them there are people that have Yirat Shemaim perhaps they don't know as much but if you listen to them you're surely going to have something that will last you a lifetime last but not least when should a person start teaching his children about Yirat Shemaim said that in his household they had a custom of teaching their kids about punishment and the concept of there being a genome at six years old at six years old you tell somebody you tell your kid if you don't do what Hashem says Hashem will punish you over there it's ouchie it's fire it's no good you don't have to go through all the details of everything else but in essence a child should know that there is a consequence for their actions beyond this life today kids at 16 years old and 26 years old have yet to hear about the concept of genom so we've gone to a completely extreme now what does the Torah talk about when does Hashem want us to learn about genom in Tikkun Azor in Tikkun 70 the last Tikkun in uh, Daf 136 Amud Bet Kuf Lamed Vav Amud Bet it says the following Chachamim asked Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai why is a baby born with their eyes closed typically and even when they're open they're very weak and they can barely see for some time you know usually a month sometimes two months before they ate the baby the baby can see why Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says this this has a big secret it's a big secret in this and how babies are born and why their eyes are uh, either weak or sometimes they're literally closed so you can't see at all which we learned from uh the uh verse about Yitzhak Avinu and how he had weak eyes at the end of his days so why is this it says because the baby before he comes out into this world they show him the common they show him all types of places that Yecheskel the prophet saw in the Merkava all these great amazing things that exist in heaven the different places in heaven the different uh angels and beautiful things that happen over there and tell him 
if you commit to do the will of Hashem, Yishtadel Be'oraita Upikudin, then this is what you're going to get. So they show him the reward of what he's going to get, all these glorious things, this extraordinary sight. Anyone that read the commentary about the uh, prophet Yechezkel and what he saw, it's beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension of what he saw. But nonetheless, you understand that uh, he saw great things. And every baby that's nine months old, is still in his mommy's belly, gets to see these great things before he leaves her, his mother's body and enters the world. And this is after being taught Torah the whole time. This is after this is after the Gemara Masechet Nida, page 30b, says that they go over the entire Torah with him after they show him all these beautiful things. And they say, if you invest an effort into doing this and to fulfill in the Torah, you'll get all these beautiful things. But also, if you don't, they then show them each and every single part of Genom and the different types of punishments that are waiting him if he does not fulfill the Torah. And they show him the first chamber and the second chamber. And the chambers within them, and the third and the fourth, and the chambers within them, and the fifth and the sixth, and the chambers within them, and the seventh one that anyone that goes in it does not come out, such as the Mechalel Shabbat Befaresia, the Machtia Rabin, the one that causes the public to sin, the heretics, the missionaries, those that waste seed on purpose, those that desecrate Hashem's name, those people that uh, go with married women. Go into these places and don't come out. And they show the baby this place and every single part of it. And all the scariest things you can possibly imagine and the things that you cannot imagine, thank God. And it's so scary to the baby that to go back to seeing normal things takes at least a month or more of adjustment. Habishim Mubayuchai says, that's why the baby is born and his vision is weak. Because he just saw the extraordinary things that are in heaven, but even more so he saw the scary extraordinary things in Geinom. And for him to go back to seeing the regular things of this world takes some adjustment. The Torah is warning us time and time again that although Hashem wants to give us reward, punishment is there. Punishment is there for anyone who wants to ignore the reality. There are certain people that observe the Torah simply because they want Hashem to give them money. And those people typically, as soon as Hashem gives them a test, they throw the Torah and everything that connects to it along with it. Even the Hasid Yavitz said that the Spanish Inquisition 
when the evil Ferdinand and the uh, Isabella, the uh, king and queen of Spain, made a decree that whoever doesn't convert to Christianity will be uh, killed or they have to leave. The poor people that had simple, full faith in Emunah, it wasn't a difficulty for them. The very next day, they packed up a couple of things they were allowed to take with them, and they left Spain into dangerous, unknown places. But it wasn't a question for them to stay there. They left immediately. Who stayed behind, says the Hasid Yavitz? The rich Jews who did not want to lose their property and were willing to even to serve Avodah Zarah just so they don't lose their millions. When a person serves Hashem because he thinks that Hashem is going to give him money, fame, all types of recognition and fortunes and honor and so on, that person's fear of heaven is non-existent. It's fake. If he's a teacher, you have to run away from him as far as you possibly can. If he does not teach about punishment, if he does not teach about consequences, if he does not give you any reason to fear the Almighty, then I'm not really sure if he's even teaching you Torah. Because according to our Torah, every single page in the Torah, every single page in the Gemara, every single page in every place in the Torah has a warning of if you don't listen. Even before we came to this world, Hashem sent us specific angels to warn us by showing us the different places in Gehenim that we would go to. And the fire that's coming from the sweat of the angels pouring on people's heads that did not listen. He showed us that. Not some illusion that because we're doing mitzvot, we're going to be protected. He showed us the tough parts, Rabbi. If you're listening to people that do not show you the tough parts of the Torah, you're not learning Torah. You're not learning Torah. Not everybody needs to give you the details of Gehenom. But if you don't have a little bit of extra fear in your heart after the shield, a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra oomph in your heart to serve Hashem even more, not just because you want more money, not just because you want more blessing, but simply because you're afraid, you're afraid to not do the will of Hashem. If you don't have a little bit of extra after each and every single book, after each and every single shiu, after each and every single class and lesson and so on, there's no point. Why? Because the Kadosh Baruch Hu says, what I want from you is fear. What about all the other stuff? The other stuff will come if you have the fear. If you don't have the fear, all the other stuff is meaningless. It's important to know that we have to love Hashem. It's important to know that we have to serve Hashem from the highest possible level. But we cannot get to the highest possible level if we don't even know what the beginning is. Hence the reason why, Rabotai, it's important that each and every single one of us don't add our own two cents to what the Torah says. Simply read what it says, look at the commentaries, and follow what, what you're supposed to do. Follow what you're supposed to do. If somebody's teaching you what our sages said over the last few thousand years, keep listening, keep doing. But if somebody is distorting things in order to fit their agenda into this new modern world, they're modernizing the Torah. 
they're telling you that all of a sudden women rabbis are allowed and homosexuals should be welcomed and uh, missionaries are even welcome and all types of foreign things are welcome into Judaism these people are the Erev Rav and the only thing you should know about these people is that regardless of what success they think they have in the end the fire of Nardinu will be pouring on their head Be'ezrat Hashem and if the Sanhedrin was still here we would be allowed to even kill such people of course the way to kill all the bad is by doing more mitzvot doing more chesed doing more good to save those that are simply clueless and are not doing things for the sake of serving their own agenda and for the sake of making Hashem angry they're simply clueless and that's the majority of people that's the majority of people it's our obligation to help each and every single one of them but at the same time part of that obligation of saving people from their own cluelessness is also to save them from bad teachers which unfortunately exist in the world so this will give us some more tools to serve Hashem at the highest possible level that we can each and every week we continue to grow and we'll continue to do that Amen Amen אני מברך את הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, ראשי ארגון בעזרת השם, שהלכו בפעליון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, קדוש ברוך הוא ימלא משאלות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו, יזכירו ויצליחו, יזכירו עוד לעשות כאלה וכאלה, הודיעו תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן. הוא היהודי הזה, הוא היה מיליונר, סגר את כל הביזנס, אמר אני משקיע פה בעולמה של תורה. איפה הוא גר? בפלורידה. פלורידה, איפה זה פלורידה? באמריקה. כן, ליד. אנחנו שם עכשיו הולכים להקים קהילה ספרדית גדולה. קהילה ספרדית גדולה.